Good morning, church. I love you. I appreciate you so much. I'm so incredibly excited. I know Zach already announced this, and I know you already know about tonight's uh, area-wide worship, but I'm incredibly excited about this evening. Last, last time we had this area-wide service, it was Mark Bryson's idea to, to put together uh, these area-wide services, and, and Mark said, hey, how about in a few weeks we, we have an area-wide service, and we invite various congregations, and I was excited about it, but I thought, I don't know if very many people will show up. I don't know, you know if it'll be that successful, and you know, it's a Sunday night, and how many people are going to come, you know, they got Monday morning coming, and how many people are going to drive from other churches, and it was probably 4.45, and I came around this corner into the foyer, and there were already people here before 5 o'clock, and I thought, we've got half an hour before this thing starts, and people are already showing up, and before you know it, if you were here, you know that every seat in this room was completely filled, the fellowship hall was 95% filled, I think we had 10 seats left in the whole building, if we had had 10 more people, we would, I don't know where we would have put them, so it was incredibly successful, we had over 800 people here for that service last time we did this area-wide service, and so Greenville Avenue, thankfully, was gracious enough to say, let's do it at our building next time. They've got a little bit more room than we do. They've got a lot more room than we do. And so I'm incredibly excited to see. We've got some more room. Hopefully we get some more people. And, and I just can't even tell you how excited I am. So 5.30 this evening, Greenville Avenue. If you already have other plans, cancel those and join us at Greenville Avenue. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're starting a new series this morning. And I'm, I've been thinking about this series for several months now, uh, and I can't even impress upon us the importance of these seven truths that we're going to talk about. And it all kind of centers around this theme that we have this year about loving loyalty, loyalty to Jesus. But sort of undergirding all of this is this statement. I want to start with this kind of fundamental statement that salvation is determined by one factor. Salvation is determined by one factor, how you respond to the gospel. That's it. That's the question. How do you respond to the gospel? Your entire salvation, your relationship with God, it, it can be summed up with the answer to that question. That's the factor that determines whether or not you are a saved person or a lost person. That, that determines whether or not you are in covenant relationship with God or not. If you respond to the gospel in what throughout the New Testament we call faith, if you respond to the gospel in faith, that is loving loyalty to Jesus, if you respond to the gospel by committing yourself to King Jesus, then you are in a saved relationship with him. If you disobey the gospel and you reject the gospel then you will not be and are not saved. And that statement, that idea, it begs this important question, what is the gospel, right? What is the gospel? I, I think so often we, we reduce it too much. If you want to know what is the gospel, ask Matthew. Matthew would love to tell you what the gospel is. That, that's what the gospel account of Matthew is. If you want to know what the gospel is, ask Mark. In fact, we're going to have a, a whole class series starting this morning about the gospel of Mark. If you want to know what the gospel is, ask Luke. Luke would tell you what the gospel is. If you want to know what the gospel is, ask John. And they all are giving the same answer, just in different ways. 
There's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. And the gospel is the story about Jesus. Matthew is telling you, this is what the gospel is. Mark is telling you, this is what the gospel is. Luke is telling you, this is what the gospel is. John is telling you, this is what the gospel is. And they're all inviting you to respond to the gospel in faith. And if you respond in faith, then you get to enter into a covenant relationship with God, Jesus saving you from sin and death. Or you can reject the gospel and not believe the gospel and not respond to the gospel in faith. It all comes down to that one question. How do you respond to the gospel? But, but here's the thing about this story about Jesus. I'm afraid that sometimes we try to make Jesus in our own image. Sometimes we try to have sort of a, a generic mix and match Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? We kind of have this mix and match Jesus where we say, well, I like, I like this little bit about Jesus over here. I, I like this idea about Jesus, and I can accept a Jesus who's like this, but I don't like this part about Jesus, and I don't accept this part about Jesus, and I don't believe this part about Jesus, but I, I like these elements of Jesus. And so in, in my mind or my religion or my faith, I, I, I'm going to accept these parts of the gospel, and I'm going to reject these parts of the gospel. That's not how it works. We either take all of the story about Jesus or we don't. We either respond in faith to the whole story of Jesus or we don't. And, and disturbingly, there, there are more and more people who claim to be Christians who either are ignorant of fundamental, essential elements of the gospel story, or they know those elements and they've rejected them. In fact, in a recent survey in 2022, a recent survey showed that 44% of evangelicals said they believed Jesus was a great teacher, but, but he was not God. These are people who claim to be evangelicals. These are people who claim to be Christians and who say, I, I believe that Jesus is a great teacher, but I don't think he's God. And maybe that reflects your belief or your understanding. Maybe that's because you haven't heard the full gospel explained, or maybe you haven't, and maybe you just struggle to believe that truth of the gospel. I, I want to walk through over the next few weeks these seven essential truths that over and over and over again, not only Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, but all of the apostles and the, the letters that we have from the New Testament, they all say these, these things must be believed. If you're going to respond in faith to Jesus, if you're going to respond to faith with faith in Jesus and become his follower, you must believe these truths about him. And really, the gospel story goes back even before Jesus is born. The gospel story goes back even before the world is born, before the world is created. The, the, gospel, the gospel has been there all along, this good news. In fact, you go back all the way even before creation, and what you find is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, who are all, in a sense, Yahweh, the, the true, the living God, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the one worthy of worship, this one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all there together, distinct from one another, but in relationship with one another, one in nature, one in purpose, 
loving each other and sharing glory with one another. This is where the the good news about Jesus starts. In fact, this is the way John tells the story. So if you have your Bible, look at John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's how John tells the story. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This, This Word that John is talking about would have been really familiar to Jewish people especially. This this word has been there as a part of the Jewish story, the Hebrew story, the Israelite story from the very beginning. That, That the word of God came to Abraham. The word of God came to the prophets. In fact, in Genesis, we read, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So, Interesting way to put it, isn't it? The word, when you think about a word, you usually think about something you hear, right? But when you think about a vision, you're talking about something you see. And the word, the word of God came to Abram in a vision. And this word continually shows up to the prophets. The word comes to the prophets and leads the prophets and guides the prophets and sends out the prophets to proclaim the message of God. The word continually empowering them. And John says this word that was with God in the beginning, this word is God. This word was God. This word has always been God. And everything that exists, exists through this word who was both with God and is God and was God and will always be God. He says in verse 14 of the same chapter, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So again, this word that had come to and shown himself to the prophets and to Abraham and to Moses and over and over and over again throughout the story, now this word has shown up and they haven't just heard it, they've seen it. Rather, they've seen him because this word has become flesh has become man. But as obvious as that truth is, and we'll talk more about that truth, that this word became human, became flesh, here John is making the point that this word is God. This word is Yahweh. This word that was with God in the beginning was God from the beginning. Going on in the Gospel of John, same chapter, and this is the testimony of John the Baptist. The next day he, this is verse 29, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. What what is John testifying to? He's testifying to the pre-existence of Jesus. He's saying that that Jesus is coming after me. John preached before Jesus came along, prepared people for Jesus. 
But he says, even though he's coming after me and he's showing up after me, he's actually more important than me because he was before me. He's existed from before me. How is that even possible? That someone older, just a little bit older, but older than Jesus could say, actually, he's older than I am because he knows that Jesus pre-existed his own birth. Jesus existed before he was born because he came from God. Here's how Jesus would put it. Look at John chapter 8, verse 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, that's a funny way to put it, isn't it? Before Abraham was, I, what? Am. Jesus is also claiming his pre-existence, right? He's claiming that I existed before Abraham. Before Abraham, I existed. But he doesn't say before Abraham, I was. He says before Abraham, I am. What's he saying? Most people feel like this is probably a hint that he's claiming to be Yahweh. This goes back to what God told Moses. Do you remember when Moses says, who who am I going to say sent me? And, And God says, tell him, I am sent you. I am who I am. That, that is who Yahweh is. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. It's a bold claim, isn't it? And the Jewish people who heard Jesus say this, they know exactly what he's claiming. That's why they pick up stones to stone him. Because if it's not true, it's what? It's blasphemy. So that's why you can't say Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not God. That that can't be the case. If Jesus isn't God, he's a liar and a blasphemer. This is only a good teacher if he's not just a good teacher. He's only a good teacher if he is also telling the truth about who he is, that before Abraham was, I am. That he and the Father are one. That he was sent from the Father. That he pre-existed his own birth in Bethlehem. These are the things that Jesus is claiming about himself. Look at John 14, starting in verse 8. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. See, Jesus isn't claiming to be the Father, is he? There's a distinction between the Father and the Son, but he's saying the Father and I are one. I came from him. I'm going back to him. We are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen him. We are so one, we are so united that if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. Because I am of the exact nature. Chapter 16, verse 28, Jesus says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. 
And then the next chapter, when Jesus is praying, we call this the high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 4. Jesus says to the Father, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus says, I'm I'm coming back to you, and now you're going to glorify me with the same glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, before creation, the Word, or the Son, and the Father were together. They were unified. They shared glory. And Yahweh doesn't share his glory with anyone else. And so it's evidence that the Son and the Father are both Yahweh. They are both the Lord of lords. They are both the God of gods. Both the Father and the Son are God. Are God. And when Jesus goes back to the Father, we'll talk more about this next week, but when Jesus goes back to the Father, it isn't as if everything goes back to the way that it was before. That's not what he says. That's not what the gospel claims. The gospel doesn't claim that Jesus came 33 years, things were different, and then he went back and things were as they were before. Nope. Things are going to be different from now on. Now there is a human being in heaven reigning at the right hand of God, But this human being is God. There is a human being sharing the glory of God. The Son, the Word, became human and then ascended back to heaven to share the glory with the Father as the Son, as the Word, had with him in the beginning. Deep stuff, isn't it? This is the good news. That this this Jesus that we talk about, that we sing about, this Jesus that was born in a manger, this Jesus that was crucified on a cross, this Jesus that rose from the dead, he is God. He is God. And that he came from the Father and he went back to the Father. Which means that as we read back through what we call the Old Testament, it changes the way we read the Old Testament, doesn't it? It should. This truth, this reality changes the way we read back through the Old Testament, whether it's the creation or it's the Exodus account that we just finished studying in our Sunday morning classes, the the Israelites being rescued out of slavery, crossing through the Red Sea. The Word was right there with God all along because the Word is God. The Son was right there with the Father every step of the journey. You may not have seen him. You may not have realized it. But the good news is, the final revelation is that the Son has always been there with the Father. The Word has always been there with God because the Word is God. The Word who became flesh is the Word that has always been there with God. So when you read back through the Old Testament, recognize that the Word is is right there. When we talk about Yahweh, you have to see Yahweh in terms of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Listen to the way Paul puts it, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Here's how Paul puts it. He says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus is created. It means that he is firstborn status, which means what? It means you're, you're the top dog. You're the supreme. You're the primary. You are over all. You are the firstborn of creation. You are the the supreme over all creation. He is. For by him, 
All things were created. How many things? How many things? All things. All things. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. With the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Even more disturbing than the first stat that I showed you that 44% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is a good teacher but is not God. Over 70% said that Jesus was the first and most important of all of God's creation. That Jesus is created. That's disturbing. Jesus is not created. Jesus has always been with the Father. The Son has always been with the Father. The Word has always been with the Father. In fact, Paul says everything that exists, visible things and invisible things, rulers, powers, authorities, whatever exists, exists by Him, through Him, for Him. That means that he himself is not created. He is pre-existent. He is eternal. He has always been because he is God. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Here's what the Hebrew writer says. Hebrews 1, starting in verse 1. He says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Not only is Jesus the creator, the Son is the creator, the Word is the creator, and all things were created by him and for him and through him, but he is the, the final and the most ultimate revelation of who God is. The Hebrew writer says, listen, we've, We've heard, from, we've heard from the prophets over the years. Generation after generation after generation, God sent his prophets who were coming to represent and reveal the word of God, the truth of God, the message of God, the person of God, the character of God. And these prophets came and made revelations about who God is and what God wants and what God is going to do. But the final, the final revelation of who God is the most ultimate revelation of who God is, is his son. The one who is in very nature of the father. The one who has always existed along with the father. And he has sent his son to be the final and the ultimate revelation of who God is. Look at verse 3. He is the, love this phrase, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We could spend about three months just right on verse three. We won't do that, but I mean, just ponder these words. I mean, this phrase, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Glory is like this, this brightness, this brightness that is so bright it has weight to it. And God exists in glory. And then he says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Now, maybe we could put it this way. If we turned off the, the fake lights in the room, we won't do that, but if we turned off the man-made lights in the room, there'd still be sunlight coming in, wouldn't there? Now, now, would you say that the sun was in the room? 
You could say that, right? The sun is shining in the room. It's not really the sun. The sun isn't existing in the room, but it is the, the radiance of the sun's glory, right? In fact, you, you really only know the sun by knowing the radiance of the sun's glory. You, you feel the heat. You see the light. And that radiance is from the sun, and it represents the sun. It's how you know the sun. You know the sun by knowing the sun's Radiance, the radiance of the sun's glory. And, and that's what the Hebrew writer is saying. That Jesus, the sun, the word, this word of God has always, always been emanating from the Father. Not as something that is created or there was one day where he was created, but has always been emanating from the Father. And this radiance of his glory we have come to know the Father. We have come to really know God because we have known the radiance of His glory, the exact imprint of His nature. The exact imprint of His nature. If you had a coin that was stamped, the thing that stamped it looks exactly like the coin that was stamped with that image. That's how you know the Father because you have seen the Son and if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. He's not the Father, but you know the Father because you know the Son, because the Son is the radiance of His glory, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Not only was the, the world, not just the world, but the universe, and not just the visible universe, but the invisible world, Everything, whether it's visible or invisible, was not only created by him and through him and for him, but he upholds it all. He's in charge of it all. Do you remember one of the last things he told his apostles? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. We, we don't just follow Jesus like he's a good teacher. We worship Jesus. Because he is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And because he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Same verse, verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I mean, think about all these things that Jesus and John and the gospel writers and the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews and Paul, think about all the things they're claiming about Jesus, that he sits at the Father's right hand, that he shares the Father's glory, that he rules the world, that all things were created by him and through him and for him, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. All these things are only possible if... And here's our first truth claim. They're only possible if Jesus is God. All of this only makes sense if Jesus is God. This is what every single writer of the New Testament is claiming, that Jesus is God. And that truth, that truth changes your life. Practically speaking, it changes your life because it dispels every myth and destroys every idol that falsely claims to represent God. 
That's what an idol does. An idol claims to represent a god, doesn't it? And you can look at an idol and you say, this, this tells me something about this god or this supposed god's nature. And that's why every idol is wrong. Every, every graven image is wrong and always has been wrong because that graven image doesn't represent our living God. In the beginning, God created human beings to be his idols, to be his images, to represent him. But the most perfect representation of God is Jesus. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the radiance of his glory. All things were created by him and through him and for him. And so every idol, every idol is a misrepresentation of God because it's not Jesus. And every myth that we have about God, every way of thinking that we have about God that's not Jesus is wrong because it's not Jesus. Which means, which means that God is not Zeus. And some of us still have Zeus in our head, don't we? Our image of God is Zeus. You know, this old man with a long beard, lightning bolt in his hand. That's a myth about God, that the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is God, it dispels that myth. God is not Zeus. I hate to say this one because I really like Mr. Rogers, but God is also not Mr. Rogers. I like Mr. Rogers a whole lot, but Jesus is God. And if your idea of God comes from something else or someone else, then it's probably a myth unless your image of God is Jesus. And some of you need to hear that God is also not your abusive father. Some of you had abusive fathers and neglectful fathers. And you have put that on God. And you have, you have developed a mentality about God, a vision of God, an image of God that's based on your earthly father who was neglectful and abusive or maybe even just imperfect. Your earthly father is not God, but Jesus is God. Let, let me walk through just a few practical things. Based on the truth that Jesus is God, here's some questions to ask yourself. Based on the truth that Jesus is God, ask yourself, number one, how have I constructed an image of God that's based more on what I think, what I want, or even what I fear, rather than on Jesus? How is my image of God, my construction of God, the way I envision God, based on what I want God to be like, based on what I think God is like, or based on what I fear God is like? rather than based on Jesus. See, this is why it's so important that we spend so much time in Scripture, so that your vision of God, the one you worship, the one you serve, the one you live for, comes from Jesus, who is the imprint of his nature, rather than based on your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own fears. Number two, how have I allowed Christians, or my family, or society, to shape my view of God more than Jesus. It's understandable, isn't it? That you might look around at other Christians and say, well, if God is like these people, I don't know that I want him. It's understandable if you look at your family and say, well, if God is like these people, I don't know that I want him. 
Or it's understandable if you look around at society and you say, well, if God is like these people, I don't know that I want him. But if you want to know what God is like, he has become human so that you can look at a single human being and know this is what God is like. God is like Jesus because Jesus is God. And that changes everything. Number three, last question. Is it possible that I have worshipped a God of my own making rather than the God who has made himself known in Jesus? Is it possible that you have been worshipping a God of your own making? A sort of generic God, a customizable God, a mix and match God that is based on your thoughts or your feelings or your fears rather than based on the person of Jesus, who is God. See, this is why the whole truth of the gospel is so important. These seven truths that we're going to walk through in this series are so incredibly important. Because you can't take one without the others. You can't have a Jesus who's just a good teacher. If Jesus was just a good teacher, there is no good news. There is no good news. But if Jesus is God... Oh, there is such good news because it means that the Father is exactly like him. And if you want to know the Father, look to Jesus. In fact, he would say, there is no other way to God except through him. So if you're ready to come to the Father through Jesus by responding in faith to the good news that number one, Jesus is God, if you're ready to make that step to be baptized into Jesus, to repent of your sins, to have your life totally transformed by him, this morning would be a great time to do that. Or maybe you need to recommit your life to Jesus. Or maybe you just need prayers and encouragement from other fellow travelers who are trying to worship and serve and follow him. Whatever we can do to help, our shepherds would love to meet with you in the prayer room after service, or you can come forward now. As together we stand, sing this song.